This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Back to another episode. I'm going to start again. That was horrible. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. We're back. Obviously, our schedule is all over the place. So your phone's buzzed and you've realised we've got a new episode. I don't know what day it is. It could be any day. But we just release episodes when we feel like it now because that's who we are. I'm James. I'm joined by Ryan. How are you, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Um, you, you, when you started saying that, I was like, I'm almost bored of just saying, ah, oh, do you know what? Our schedule sparked, and we, we, we record when we record. Just, <laughs> it's, it was more, it's more of a feeling now, which I, it's, it's more of like an org- organic process. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those that, like, I think we're established enough now uh, that I know, I noticed this as a trend. Every time we post an episode. Everyone, like, our, our audience te- seems to stay the same, right, in the amount of listens we get, which is, I quite like that, Um, and it just means that every time an episode goes out, everyone's like, oh, there's a new episode, and everyone just listens to it straight away, and then yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. pace yourself, guys, because you're not going to get one for a little while now. <laughs> yeah, Although, and then some months we might release a few, who knows? Yeah, exactly. A friend of mine at work, um, he uh, was listening to our Gary Glitter episode, and he listened mm-hmm. to it in two installments. Like he listened to it as like a part one and a part two. Like get into oh. the bit where you listen, you learn all about his music career, and then mm-hmm. we get to nineteen ninety seven where it all went wrong. And then he yeah. listened to the second part, um, and so he finished that over like two days. And I was like, yeah, that's probably wise to do that because there won't be another one for a while. There's a clever way of doing it. So if you did want to pace yourself through this episode, which you've probably seen the title, it's a pretty brutal episode. Ooh, By all yeah. means, go go crazy. Don't. Don't feel like you've got to do it in one. But if you do want to do it in one, we're here for the duration. We'll be with you for the next hour. I wonder um, if people also- um, listen to our intro and they go, yeah, yeah, we get it. You've got work. It's busy. You're not getting episodes oh, we, we out as the often same as it shit was. Every, time. Yeah. every episode, we say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I do want to talk about something kind of new, though, is, is the sort of more social stuff that we're trying to do um mm. if you follow the socials you might have noticed it last week i did a few posts i think they went okay um we're going to try and do more of that more writing stuff obviously again sorry we, we're working um but we're going to tr- keep trying to do that so keep an eye on the socials we are going to try and ramp it up i know for a fact that at the end of june start of july there's going to be quite a lot of stuff going on just in terms of what we've already recorded um oh, which yeah. should be quite which should be quite good yeah, we've got our so, four-year special episode. Um, yeah. But can, can we take a couple of minutes to talk about your article on Gary Glitter and whether uh, the artist can be separated from the art? Oh, people loved it. Fucking boomers went crazy. <laughs> people arguing in the comments. It was a really interesting start of debate because some people were heavily that, yes, you can separate the artist. Some people were heavily no. Uh, the article 
really held no information. It was just sort of, can we? Yeah. Um, there was a really interesting thread in, in all the comments where one woman was like, this is a vile post and it should be taken down. And one absolute hero joined in on the comments and was like, I'm curious as to why you think this should be taken down. And she was like, because he was a scumbag, he's a paedophile, blah, blah, blah. And then the guy was like, so, sorry, can you just break down? What do you think they're trying to ask in this article? Like, have you actually yeah. read the article, basically? And it's like, should no, Should we build on a statue haven't. or not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was fucking, that's, it was a wild ride. And my yeah. phone was popping off like you wouldn't believe. But I'm, before I posted it, I said it to you that I'd done it purposely to get people angry. And it worked. Yeah. So yeah, if you want maybe to see I'll, more maybe of it. I'll do the same for this one. Yorkshire Ripper, can he be forgiven? No, oh, that's he good. can't. That's good. I like that. Can he be forgiven? We're just gonna become like the the fucking site that's just known for saying shit just to provoke it's just, people. It, it, we're really rapidly falling into the white men with a podcast playing devil's advocate, and I, I yeah. can't like I don't know how I feel about it. Mm. Mm. But anyway, we'll try and get back to the the factual information, the history that you guys like, and. People love true crime, and this is one of Britain's ultimate true crime stories today, so buckle in. Here we go. We're going to be talking about the Yorkshire Ripper. So why are we talking about the Yorkshire Ripper? So this isn't... I'm going to tease you. It's not going to be the only Ripper that will be discussed over the next couple of months. Um, As we mentioned, the exciting wave of content that has already been recorded, so you know 100,000% that it's coming. Um... I believe that that's really going to upgrade what we do as a podcast. So you really get excited for that. That's going to be in about a month's time. So if you don't mm. know who we're talking about, then you don't deserve to listen to it. Big out of the word ripper. Yeah, I've uh, yeah. really gone and pulled some strings. <laughs> yeah, it, it. That was a day. It a was. day that I got. Anyway, we'll get onto that. In I can't talk about it. Enough of it. It will all become clear in good time. And the events we're discussing today are so absolutely horrific that I do obviously need to warn people before we begin. If you're sensitive to subjects that involve brutal murder, especially of young women um, being pursued at night, uh, this, again, is probably the time where we say goodbye and we'll see you next week or the week after or wherever when it's a little bit more up your alley. However, I doubt anyone turned off because if you clicked on the podcast that said the Yorkshire Ripper, you know what you're in for. So let's dive into the story of the United Kingdom's second most prolific serial killer. And you're probably thinking, second? Who was the first? Well, we've got an episode on him too. His name was Harold Shipman. He claimed the lives of 218 people. So if you do want to go check out the episode about him, do check it out. His method of murder was vastly different to to the Yorkshire Ripper, but he outdid his numbers by over 200. So He's also um, somewhat... Laugh, what's the word I'm looking for? Funnily known? That's, that's not the word. Um, but like hilariously known as like the most boring serial killer in the world. Yeah, um, he got his his numbers are crazy, but how he got there is not that fucking yeah. wild. It was a boring. He's a boring serial killer, but <laughs> he did the job. The Yorkshire Ripper's real name was Peter William Sutcliffe. He was born on June 2nd, 1946 in Bingley, West Yorkshire, and he was the son of a working class family. And as a young boy, he sort of displayed a pretty normal upbringing, which is often rare when we're talking about serial killers and murderers. Mm. But early on, he did start showing signs of troubling behaviour, including an unhealthy fascination with voyeurism and violence towards animals. And obviously, if you don't know that, if you see your kid being aggressive towards animals, that is a, a trademark trait that you're... Your child is pretty fucked up. As a teenager, he then worked as a grave digger, a job that some people may have um, believed may have contributed to his desensitisation towards death and violence, which it probably would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I see that. Immediately, we're seeing traits of a serial killer and we haven't even started. Um, Working as a grave digger is a pretty grim job, but if you were to be around corpses that much, you'd probably become immune to them and also... You'd sort of like know how to handle them, which mm. becomes pretty evident later on. I don't even. Sorry to interrupt. Um, I, you were saying like desensitizing them to like dead bodies and whatnot, but I almost feel like it almost to a degree can desensitize you towards human beings as a whole because you you could be forgiven for 
not seeing humans as humans anymore, but just seeing them as like flashbacks that are just alive mm. one minute, they're dead the next. That's it. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I, do, mm. I do agree. It's kind of horrible. In 1975, Sutcliffe married a woman called Sonia Zerma, and the pair settled down in Bradford in West Yorkshire. Despite appearing to be something of a family man, it was quite clear that he had violent tendencies just waiting to be unleashed. In the same year that he moved to Bradford, the body of a Scottish mother of four, Wilma McCann, was discovered on October 30th. The body was found in Leeds, and it was clear that Wilma had been hit over the head with a hammer and stabbed 15 times. The brutal nature of the attack shocked the community, and marks the beginning of a horrifying chapter in British criminal history. Police described Wilma as having several boyfriends, and she was known for her love of getting out and about and leaving her children in the care of a nanny. The media completely misconstrued all of this, and then there was a widespread belief that she was a prostitute. This was never corrected either. The police just let the media get on with it. Sutcliffe's next victim, 42-year-old Emily Jackson, This happened a few months after the first murder, on January 20th, 1976. The murder seemed very much like the first. Her body was discovered in Leeds on on an industrial estate, and it was evident that she had been struck over the head. She had 50 stab wounds, and even then more horrifically, Sutcliffe had decided to stamp on her body with his foot. It's evident that the brutality of these murders, that Sutcliffe despised women, as these murders appeared to demonstrate he was acting out of anger. Clearly, he was dressed for the elements while going out killing, as the boot impression that he left on Emily's thigh was that of a size 7 Wellington boot, and this gave police their first clue. Unlike the first murder, Emily actually was a prostitute, and her story is pretty sad. She lived at home with her husband and three kids, but the family fell on hard financial times, After exhausting all of their options, Emily decided that she had no choice but to turn to sex work in order to support her family. After this murder is where Sutcliffe gained his infamous title, the Yorkshire Ripper. Now, I don't want to go into any details about Jack the Ripper, as we've already uh, discussed, um, because that's going to be coming up very soon. But it's very clear for anyone that does know about Jack the Ripper why the media coined the name the Yorkshire Ripper, as the murders were similarly brutal to that of England's most famous murderer, and the fact that sex workers were targeted was just another link. And it's like a hundred years after. Christ, I've forgotten the dates of Jack the Ripper. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Nine, uh, eighteen eighty-six, wasn't it? Around that time. Yeah, about yeah, ninety years. Yeah. Um. Uh, funny, you know, I know, obviously, no, we were aren't going to talk about it too much, but um, one thing that we found out with the Ripper case was that um, a lot of his victims, although they are deemed as being sex workers, were not sex workers, and it seems to be the same similar case here. It's just that any woman who is known to be somewhat out there, mm. who is murdered by a strange bloke, must have been a sex worker for being so out there and promiscuous, and I think it's just a reflection of how women have been seen throughout history where like they can't they just can't be as free as men are you know men can just wander the streets at whatever time of night they like and go do what they want and yet there's no issue there but if a lady is seen to do that or she's a woman of disrepute you know no she's just a freer spirit than maybe someone else or you know just doesn't give a fuck about what you think and wants to go out and do what she wants you know yeah this this is the thing yeah it's crazy we got onto it. Um, a, a few of his victims were sex workers, and he did tend to target them. Um, but some of them weren't, and we'll we'll get onto sort of how the media really fucked up with how they yeah. portrayed the case. Yeah. So after this murder, he decided to lay low for a while and would go for over a year without indulging his need to kill. But wow. then he struck again on February fifth, nineteen seventy-seven. And this is when Irene Richardson's body was discovered. Again, she was also a sex worker, and it followed a similar pattern. She had been hit over the head with a hammer and stabbed multiple times in the suburb of Leeds called Chapeltown. This is where police got their second clue. Tire tracks leading away from the body where Irene's body were discovered, and police managed to narrow down the track to 26 models of car. However... This meant that over 100,000 cars would have been eligible in that area. So it was kind of a shit clue. Mm. 
April 23rd, 1977, the first murder outside of Leeds in Bradford. The victim was Patricia Atkinson, and she was a cool girl. The murder took place inside her apartment, where she would often take men that she'd picked up in the pub while she was looking for work. And again, Sutcliffe left a massive clue, as he left the same size 7 Wellington boot print behind. And this was an interesting one, because this was sort of the first time that the body hadn't been discovered, sort of dumped outside. It was actually inside her apartment, so she had invited him almost. Again, mm. there's sort of there's a parallel. Anyway, anyway yeah. Ja- June 26th, 1977. 16-year-old Jane MacDonald had been out dancing with her friends in Chapel Town and had missed the last bus home. But she also couldn't find a taxi, so she resigned herself to walking alone. Sadly, she would never make it home. Her body was discovered by some children in a playground the following morning and her injuries immediately told the police that this was the work of the Yorkshire Ripper. And this is where the media comes under severe scrutiny. Due to her age and the fact that she wasn't a sex worker, they would describe her using the words as innocent, implying that the other victims weren't. Mm. Some tabloids even went as far to say that the Ripper must have made a mistake and accidentally killed someone who wasn't a prostitute. Because apparently the prostitutes in their eyes are deserving in a way uh, whereas this mm-hmm. woman is not yeah it's horrible that it's just That's... no one deserves to die a 16 year old walking home doesn't uh, someone who is a sex worker doesn't deserve to die and the media really sort of jumped on it well it's, it screams a media that is very much male dominated yeah and has very strong opinions on what the woman should be like at the time and i imagine mm. many women at the time probably had a similarish opinion only because they grew up in that way. But I imagine a lot of other women would have been very like, well, no, that's not fair to have labelled her like that. You know what I mean? So this is the thing. Naturally, with the British public, not many people gave a shit when it was sex workers dying. Some probably even thought they deserved it. There was a lack of care. However, a 16-year-old being murdered, suddenly they were taking notice and there was Mm. widespread fear and intrigue. Women realised that they weren't safe simply because they weren't a prostitute. And the anger started to grow at the police because they hadn't made any arrests. And honestly, they were no closer to figuring out who the murderer was. There was also a large amount of victim blaming. I just want to briefly compare this to the 2020 case of Sarah Everard, who was killed by the uh, police officer Wayne Cousins. Um, After that, women were told how to avoid being raped and murdered and were even told not to go out at night. And this was exactly the same in the 70s as police instructed women to not go out alone at night. And they even attempted to put a fucking curfew on them. It's one of those where I understand what you're trying to do. I understand what you're trying to get at. And uh, in a way, you'd be like, listen, for the meantime, we don't know what's going on. For your safety, let's try and do this. And I also understand the flip side of the argument, where it's like, well, no, 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 no. We shouldn't be living in a fucking world where I should have to fucking do this. We should be living in a society where I could walk around and not feel fucking threatened. Um, And it's a shame that that is still the same thought process. Um, Yeah, I I remember a moment of realisation for me is like, especially last year when I was at uni, I used to love going out for walks at like one, two in the morning, headphones in, blasting music. Like I'm not aware of the world around me. And I can do that. I I can do that with absolutely no fear. And then I'll speak to my female friends. And the second it gets dark, they won't leave the house alone. They won't obviously wear headphones because they're not aware of what's happening around them. And that to me, I was like, fuck, something that I've taken just completely for granted, just simply walking somewhere. Oh, yeah. You have to question whether you can do it. Yeah. Especially for me, like I'm six foot two, fucking stocky build. Like I'm very, it's very rare that I'm going to be uh confronted or even looked at in some way when i'm wandering around um and i i know some like very strong-headed ladies who have argued before and said oh well, no i should be allowed to do this and i agree and i'm like yeah absolutely 100 percent. i stand by your right to go and do whatever you want wear whatever you want whilst you do it too unfortunately that's not the world you're living in right now and you know i don't know whether that's the right thing to say and i don't know whether that's fair because I don't agree with it in terms of I think you should be able to do this stuff and I won't bother you. Believe me, I will leave you to it. I I stand by your right. I support you. I'm an ally in that sense. But it's like 
I just, I don't know. I'm also very aware of that this is not the world you live in. You don't live in a utopia where you are safe at the moment. And until we get to that point, I don't know. Be careful. I think maybe I this know. is where the frustration comes from that more effort has been put into telling women how to not be raped and murdered than actually instructing sort of men and also the fucking police to clamp down on the rapists and, and murderers. Yeah. Yeah. I... It's a shame. It's a real shame that, you know, we are oh, still sure. in a world where people aren't But safe. no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. There is, you don't want to put yourself in unnecessary risk. Like I, yeah. there, there are some parts of Birmingham where I live where I won't walk alone because I'm, I'm just aware that it's fucked up. I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah. But then I suppose, I suppose the, the main difference is it's all right for you and me to say, oh, there's certain areas of my town where I won't walk around at night. For a woman, they'll say, right, but I can't walk anywhere at night. Yeah, 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 of course. It's, so, it's, it's, you know, at least we have disturbing. some freedom. Oh, uh, well, I don't we've know. got so much easier. So much easier. Maybe we like... should get a woman on. Maybe we should get a woman on one day to talk about this kind of thing. Um, on like, you It'd know. be interesting. Yeah. I, I would be yeah. fascinated to talk to, uh, get a, like a female opinion um, on, on this. Because it's all good just us two fucking blokes talking about it. <laughs> but it's yeah. not helpful. No, not at all. We're not going to. Well, we can solve stuff. We can call people out as we see it. Oh, and we should call out our fellow man. Yeah, 100%. So, around this time in the 70s, women weren't happy. And thus started the Reclaim the Night movement. Women began marching at night after police suggested the curfew. Just to sort of, in an act of protest. Um, I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I think Reclaim the Night is, is still a thing nowadays. Mm. But yeah, moving on. In July of the same year, Sutcliffe would make his first big mistake. He would attempt to murder Maureen Long. But he would be unable to do so, and she would flee and be able to tell her story. She was enjoying a night out in Bradford with her friends, and then found herself on her own waiting to get home. A van pulled up and asked her if she wanted a lift, and she agreed. Sutcliffe took Maureen to a private spot and went about attempting to murder her in a similar fashion to his previous victims. He hit her over the head with a hammer and he stabbed her. Luckily for Maureen, Mann's best friend came to the rescue as a nearby dog started howling at the pair. Sutcliffe absolutely shat himself and drove away. He was spotted driving away by a nearby watchman. Unfortunately, the watchman didn't spot Maureen, who was found the next day barely alive. In the hospital, she was able to provide a pretty decent description of her attacker, um, which meant the police could sketch their first images of what they believed the Yorkshire Ripper to look like. And the car was also identified as a Ford Cortina Mark II, a car typically used by taxi drivers, which led police to believe that their suspect was indeed a taxi driver. And this brings them to their first suspect, Terry Hawkshaw. Terry didn't have any good alibis, and he lived at home with his mother, and sort of everything about him screamed this man could be the Yorkshire Ripper. But obviously we know that he was innocent. Police watched him for 24 hours a day just to see what he was getting up to. And he even had his home searched. And that is when they realised that Terry was not the killer. Mm. And this was also made especially clear when it became evident that the car wasn't a Ford Cortina Mark II. It was actually a Ford Corsair. The police had invested so many man hours into this one claim about the type of car and it all got turned into a bit of a wild goose chase. I'm just googling the Ford Corsair and looking at the difference between the two, and it's fucking staggering. Like, yeah, they don't they look up. the same at all. No, um, yeah, well, it was the, it was the night watchman that fucked up, but it was night time, so he probably just saw sort of a shape of a car and had a go. Don't, don't assume. Like, there's a reason why um, eyewitness statements are not that reliable in court at all um and it's because your your memory is shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially in bluntly. like a stressful situation you'll misremember things yeah and th- now countless hours of police investigation has gone into looking for this particular fucking car and uh, and investigating this particular man who they believe to be a, the taxi driver and and it's been wasted now don't get me wrong investigations still need to be had and you can't you can't uh cross this guy out without investigating and that will take time but i don't know it's like 
are you 100% sure it was a four Cortina? And he's like, yeah, I'm 100% sure. Are you willing to put your life on that? Mm, maybe not. All right, cool. Not helpful. Move on. Yeah. It's, it's 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 one of them, isn't it? Like, you want to believe everything can chase up every clue, but it also uses time and man hours. Yeah. October 1st, 1977. Jean Jordan was a sex worker in Manchester, and that evening she was picked up by Sutcliffe. Her story was also pretty sad. She had to um, become a sex worker in order to feed her family. Sutcliffe again would make a mistake here, though, as he paid her with a brand new £5 note. And this meant that the serial number could be traced back to him, or sort of at least narrowed down. And he realised this when he got home. But he decided to not go and retrieve it because he was worried that the cops would still be there. But a week passed and there was no news of her discovery. So he sort of assumed that her body had gone undiscovered. He returned and was unable to find her purse. But he repeatedly stabbed her her decaying corpse before he left. Whoa. That's fucking... And you know what he's doing? He's fucking angry that he can't find that £5 note. Yeah, he's he's raging. He knows. He's angry and he knows that that is a fucking good clue. Now, when I I watched a documentary on this and when they revealed the importance of the £5 note, because I was like, that's a £5 note. How how can you link that to him? And it's because we are not paid in the same way anymore, right? Yeah, so, I, so this I is... Just, I just got paid from my employer whilst we've been on the pod. And no money has been put into my hand. It's all been sent to my bank electronically. Now, mm-hmm. if I was to draw out money, maybe they could find... No, I don't even think then. The serial numbers, I don't think you could trace those that money back to me specifically if I just left a no, te- £10 note on the floor. But back in the day, you got given what was called a pay packet. So you actually got an envelope filled with money and that money was given to you like you go to the bank you'd ask for the particular cash to be drawn out and then they the, the bank knows what bills have been taken out and then you know what ones so then you can narrow down what business had those bills in their yeah. hands and then from there on you can you can narrow that search down and the fact that money has those serial code numbers on them is is absolutely wild and yeah my, yeah I think it's really cool and how funny how that doesn't work now. That would not work anymore, I don't think. No, not at all, because it's all... it's. I haven't handled cash in a very long time. Oh, mate, you get like you walk past someone who's homeless and they're like, you got any cash? You're like, no. Who I does? genuinely don't. I, I don't even carry a card anymore. It's just on my phone. Be like, bro, you've got more pennies in that fucking cup of coffee than <laughs> I have. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I, I just don't... I don't fuck with cash. But the body was soon discovered, and as was the purse. And the note gave them a type of bank, and thousands of workers were questioned because it became clear that the money was given out by payroll, as Ryan said, and therefore had to be a staff member. Amongst those interviewed was Peter Sutcliffe. Despite the police having their man in the same room, he provided them with solid alibis, and he was dismissed as having nothing to do with it. God damn. You'd think this would deter him, wouldn't you? Well, on December 14th of the same year, he picked up a woman named Marilyn Moore. Once again, a dog disturbed his murder and he fled the scene, leaving Marilyn to survive. She told the police that her attempted killer went by the name of Dave and she provided an updated sketch. January 1978, he killed 22-year-old Yvonne Pearson and 18-year-old Helena Ritker. It was clear that the Yorkshire Ripper had no intention of slowing down his attacks and the north of England was gripped with fear and the police were no closer to catching their man. In quite a few true crime stories, there are those who attempt to get involved and I'm not talking about like the police or the murderer, I'm talking about the general public that take interest and then they disrupt the police investigation. And mm. sometimes this comes in the form of a letter which again has parallels to Jack the Ripper. In March 1978, the police received a letter which read, Dear Sir, I am sorry I cannot give my name for obvious reasons. I am the Ripper. I've been dubbed a maniac by the press, but not by you. You call me clever, and I am. You and your mates haven't a clue. That photo in the paper gave me fits, and that lot about them killing myself no chance i've got things to do my purpose to rid the streets of them sluts my one regret 
is that young Lassie McDonald did not know cause change routine that night. Up to number eight, now you say seven, but remember Preston 75. Get about you know, you were right, I travel a bit. You probably look for me in Sunderland, don't bother, I'm not daft, just posted letter there on one of my trips. Not a bad place compared to Chapeltown and Manningham and other places. Warn whores to keep off the streets because I feel it coming on again. Sorry about the young lassie. Yours respectfully, Jack the Ripper. Might write again. I'm not sure last one really deserved it. Whores getting younger each time. Old slut next time, I hope. Huddersfield, never too small. Close call, last one. You've probably noticed me stumbling over the words of that. Is that because I sort of copied it exactly how it was written? There is no grammar in this letter, like not one bit of punctuation. The spelling mistakes fucking everywhere. Mm. It, it's, it's evident to anyone reading this um, that this man either suffers with dyslexia or he's illiterate or he's just not very bright. Mm. Well, so let's let's take that. Let's let's be detectives for a second. And obviously, I know James, you know the answer though. But let's let's, if we can, just for a bit of fun, try and dissect that. If we were detectives and we got that letter, what are we thinking based on that? Because, as you've sort of alluded to, I'm getting that either this guy is not very well educated, cannot read or write properly. Um, I'm definitely getting that they're northern because of the way they're writing and. They're leaving out some words because they seem to be writing as they would speak. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and we're getting mail, right? So we, those are the things that I'm getting um, and that they travel around a lot. So if I'm getting that they travel around a lot, because he's saying he's been to Sunderland on one of his little trips, so he moves around a lot. So I would then mm-hmm. also be like, okay, so does this guy travel around a lot for work? Um you know what's he doing going all over these places so that would that would be a clue for me as well i'd be like okay so this guy gets about what kind of people get about a lot you know so one thing he mentioned in that first letter um was preston 75 and that referred to a murder of a woman named joan in 1975 in preston but some people were sort of like was this the first ripper murder wasn't it it was eventually determined that it wasn't and it had nothing to do with it um but he sort of leapt on that and, and went with it. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like a way of trying to throw people off as well. Yeah. Yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. But yeah, um, if they, the police received two follow-up letters, which I'm going to read as well. So, uh, Dear Sir, I have already written Chief Constable Oldfield, a man I respect, concerning the recent Ripper murders. I told him, and I'm telling you, to warn the whores that I'll strike again and soon when the heat cools off. About the McDonald lassie, I didn't know that she was decent, and I'm sorry I changed my routine that night. Up to number eight now, you say? Um, but remember Preston 75 easy picking them up don't even have to try you think they'd learn but most of them don't most are young lasses next time try older one I hope police haven't a clue yet and I don't leave any I'm very clever and don't think of looking for fingerprints because there aren't any and don't look me up in Sunderland because I'm not stupid just pass through the place not a bad place compared with Chapel Town and Manningham can't walk the streets of them whores don't forget, warn them, I feel it coming on again if I get the chance. Sorry about the lassie, I didn't know. Yours respectfully, Jack the Ripper. Might write again, another one's gone. 
maybe Liverpool or even Manchester again. Too hot here in Yorkshire. Bye. I have given advance warning, so it's yours and theirs fault. We should mention when, this is me again now, not him. Um, we should mention again when we're talking about Sunderland. It's because police realised that all of these letters were being posted from Sunderland. I think he's just posted them all at the same time, isn't he? I, I've, I think there was delays in between them. Oh, okay. All right. So that would imply that he's going there a few times. Yeah. So he has me- He has the means to get to Sunderland. Um, this from- becomes a big fucking thing later on, this whole Sunderland thing. For anyone that's not familiar with England, Yorkshire is the north of England, but not north-north. Like It's yeah, considered north the north. That's like Northumberland, isn't it? Yeah, so you've got York, Leeds, like the Manchester area, and then you go like further, further north, like pushing Scotland. Then you've got your Newcastle, your Sunderland, and it's it's some distance. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So, yeah, so uh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at, and what the police are probably trying to think, where they're like, right, well, these letters are coming from Sunderland. If we're to take his word for it, and he's not from Sunderland, um, then. He clearly has means to get there and back. And it's, you know, it's a fair distance. It's a fair distance, even from, mm. you know, um, say, you know, Yorkshire, wherever. Um, you know, it's it's got to be like an hour and 40 drive or something. I don't know. Um, off the top of my it, head. It looked, it looked a journey. Yeah. The third letter, I think this one was written after a murder, but I, I've put them sort of all together so we can just have sort of a letter section. Yeah. This, this is the final letter. Sorry I haven't written, about a year to be exact, but I haven't been up north for quite a while. I wasn't kidding last time. I wrote saying the whore would be older this time and maybe I'd strike in Manchester for a change. You should have took heed because there was uh, a murder of an older lady. That bit about her being in hospital, funny. The lady mentioned something about that the same hospital before I stopped her whoring ways. The lady won't worry about hospitals now, will she? I bet you're wondering how I haven't been to work for ages. Well, I would have if I hadn't been for your cursed coppers. Uh, I had the lady just where I wanted her and was about to strike when one of your police cars stopped right outside the lane. He must have had a dumb copper because he didn't say anything. He didn't know how close he was to catching me. Tell you the truth, I thought I was collared. The lady said, don't worry about the coppers. Little does she know that bloody copper saved her neck. That was last month, so I don't know when I will get back on the job, but I just know it won't be Chapeltown. Too bloody hot. Maybe Bradford or Manningham. Might write again if, if up north. Jack the Ripper. P.S. Did you get the letter I sent to the Daily Mirror in Manchester? It's really interesting that he signs off Jack the Ripper on every single one. Mm. Yeah. I think he's just trying to ride on um, some sort of... Uh, what's the word? You know, bad vibes. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> so the old lady... I say old lady. The, the older lady... Uh, that's referred to in that letter was 41-year-old Vera Millward, mm. um, who was killed in May 1978. And then, uh, up until that point, the May 1978, he, he had a real hot streak. He was just going fucking ham. Uh, and this is when, again, noted in that letter, he's taken a year off. He just He just goes again for a year. And no one really knows why. He just sort of vanished. Do we know if these letters are real? We we get onto that. It's, oh, okay. it's, it's a, it's a thing. Because there's so much information yeah. in these. Yeah. Uh, so, Sutcliffe returned on April fourth, nineteen seventy-nine. Nineteen-year-old Josephine Whitaker was on her way to her grandparents' house in Halifax when the Ripper claimed her life. On the body, they discovered the same oil that was on the envelopes of the letters, meaning that the police then believed them to be one hundred percent real. They'd all been posted from Sunderland and then police decided to release this information to the public, and they were on the lookout for anyone with a Geordie accent in Yorkshire. Um, a Geordie accent, for anyone that's unaware of UK geography, is sort of from the Newcastle-Sunderland area uh, in the northeast. It, it's a very... What's the word? You, you know when a Geordie's talking. It's a, it's a thick it's accent. It's very unique, isn't it, in the UK? Like, generic yeah. Geordie. Although there's different types. You've got, like, some Geordies... Well, some people, if if there's anyone listening they're from Sunderland and you're referring to their accent as being a Geordie, they might not like that. Oh, I know, I know someone from Stockton, which is not too far from there, and he sounds like a Geordie as far as I'm concerned, and he's like, I sound nothing like a Geordie, and you're like, yeah, you do, lad. 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's just football rivalry in it, town rivalry. But if anyone is unfamiliar, what a accent from that region sounds like in 1979 police received a voice clip from the same person who wrote a letter and the voice clip went like this i'm jack i see you are still having no luck catching me i have the greatest respect for you george good lord you are no nearer catching me now than four years ago when i started i reckon your boys are letting you down george they can't be much good, can they? The only time they came near catching me was a few months back in Chapel Town when I was disturbed. I warned you in March that I'd strike again. Sorry it wasn't Bradford. I'm not quite sure when I'll strike again. But it will be definitely sometime this year. I'm not sure where. Maybe Manchester. I like it there. There's plenty of them knocking about. They never learn, do they, George? I bet you've warned them, but they never listen. Well, it's been nice chatting to you, George. Yours, Chuck the Ripper. Now, I'm, I was aware of the, the, that voicemail beforehand, and I remember hearing it, and it's so fucking creepy. Like, it's slow it's, isn't it yeah that's what it is it's slow and it's it, every word he says is like he's he knows what he's saying and it it makes the hairs on my neck stand you know hearing it yeah it's genuinely fucking terrifying and i'm sorry for I, everyone I else if you were just walking home on your own and i just <laughs> you just listen to that <laughs> which plays you probably that. took yeah. your heads up um, headphones off and just you're looking around like it's scary you probably got some questions as well, like, who the fuck is George? And you'd be right to question that. Uh, that was George Oldfield, and he was the man in charge of catching the Ripper. Mm. Uh, there, was a, there was a Ripper squad established, and he was head of as that. As far as I know as well, I don't know if you have this written down, it's the biggest ever manhunt, like the biggest ever squad of people hunting a man. Yeah. And um, I think there yeah. was a fact where it was like, because obviously in that time, everything's analogue and manual and written on paper... They had to like rent out fucking rooms and buildings to keep all the paperwork because it was like weighing down the ceiling and it was buckling. That's how much paperwork was involved with this case. They also opened up hotlines where people could sort of ring up if they had information. Like people would sat there in like an office building waiting for information and you could also ring the number to hear the voice clip if you wanted to. Really? So we get onto this. It is a ma- this is the bit that blows my fucking Ooh, mind. Go on. Dialect ac- experts were brought in and then narrowed down the accent to a suburb called Castletown. Police got desperate and a nationwide campaign was launched, and the British public were urged to listen to the voice clip. And thousands of billboards were put up. The voice clip was literally played in shops, cafes. It was over tannoys in um nightclubs i saw a comment though this person was in a nightclub and the lights went up and they went can everyone just listen to this voice clip please we need everyone to hear it and they just played what you have just heard what it was everywhere what a a fucking downer on your night you're having a good time you just you know maybe you got chatting with a nice lass who you've been dancing with for the night and then you're like hey listen and then all of a sudden uh listen everyone yeah just need you all to hear this. Uh, does anyone recognise that? Every, you couldn't. You couldn't go out in public without hearing it. It was anywhere there was a speaker system. It was playing. It's uh, that's fucking crazy. That's crazy. That's how big that blew up. And it's a scary sound. I imagine so many people had nightmares after that. Do we know if these letters are real? Oh, we are. Are you saying are these from Sutcliffe? Yeah, not at all. But yeah, we actually find out who wrote the letters as well, which is quite Ooh. funny. All right. All right. Cool. Yeah, you'd shit yourself, wouldn't you? You'd absolutely shit yourself that there's this killer evading police and they're playing his voice everywhere. It's like he's he's got the public where he wanted them. And obviously I've kind of sported it by being like, this wasn't the Yorkshire Ripper. What what must he have been thinking? I was just thinking exactly the same thing. Like, what's Peter Sutcliffe thinking? He's sat in his own home watching the news and every now and then they're like, this is the Yorkshire Ripper. And he's like, no, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's fucking not B. Probably like, oh well, there he's throwing them off. Then amazing, he thinks there is it's a Geordie. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's like right, right. Thinks he's a Geordie. I can get away with this more now. Yep. 
Yeah, he's done him an out. This is why you shouldn't fucking do hoaxes, people. Yeah, don't do it. And yet, it's such a common thing. Like, uh, there's quite a lot, I think, in some of our true crime episodes where people just, you know, write fucking shitty letters and make phone mm-hmm. calls and stuff. And, you know, I don't understand why people do that. Just tried to get involved. Up until this point, seven women had escaped from Sutcliffe's clutches and all of them maintained that he did not have a Geordie accent. Despite this, the police strongly believed that the voice clips were real and they dismissed the victims and said that they were remembering it wrong. Wow, that's crazy. And yet the Night Watchmen, they were like, oh yeah, it must have been a four Cortina. Yeah. That's fucking... It's absolutely mental. Oh, that's infuriating. That's infuriating. The, po- the police fucked up. The, they let the country down as Barbara Leach, Marguerite Walls and Jacqueline Hill became the vi- uh, Ripper's next three victims. None of these women were sex workers. Wow. You know what's wild as well? It's that I imagine they were under some intense pressure because they're not solving this crime. They are, And I'm sure mm-hmm. they're trying... You know, at the end of the day, they are police and that they want to do their job and they want to find this killer, but it's not working and they're really struggling. And I imagine there's so much intense pressure to find this killer so that when this has come around, I think they just want it to be him so badly. They went too far down a road. You know, when you're in an argument and halfway through the argument, you realize you're wrong, but you just keep going (laughs) to save face. It's similar to what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's fucking crazy. And because of that, he's had a longer stint and more people have died because they're being ignorant he's got, yeah. and don't want to accept that they may be wrong. Mm-hmm. Roll on 1981, the downfall of Peter Sutcliffe. He decided to look for a victim in Sheffield because he thought it would be safer, though this eventually led to his demise. Police there weren't so quick to dismiss people who didn't have a Geordie accent. Sheffield is a little bit further south than uh, Leeds. Sutcliffe picked up 20-year-old Olivia Rivers, who was a sex worker. He was on his way to kill her when the police pulled him over during a routine check. And he was arrested because his car had false number plates. So this was all by chance. Everything about him matched the description, except the accent. Some people argue that if he was arrested in Leeds, the police probably would have let him go because he didn't have a Geordie accent. But Sheffield police decided to pursue it. They decided to go back and search the scene where they arrested him. And they found a knife, a hammer and a rope that Sutcliffe had discarded while being arrested because he told the cops that he needed to go for a pee. This was the smoking gun that police needed, and the Yorkshire Ripper was finally in police custody, despite them being sat in the same room with him before. Mm. And obviously, people were super pissed at the police. He had been interviewed nine times by them, and despite matching the descriptions and even being cited several times around sex workers, they had failed to capture him. Wow. And do you know what as well? If you look, if you guys listening, if you just Google um, Yorkshire Ripper sketch, he looks like the sketch. The sketches are spot on. Spot on. How they did not think, oh yeah, that, that, that that's not him. Like how they thought that, I have no idea. That's fucking wild. Nine times. And they're like, nah. Nine times. And the fact that for me, you go back to the, the bank note, that is the clue. Yeah. And how... Obviously, there's thousands of workers there, but they've got this sketch of a guy. They've got this banknote that links him to sit in the same room as the guy that looks exactly like the fucking sketch. And you're thinking, mm, he doesn't sound like he's from Sunderland, so can't be him. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm now thinking about these al- alibis that he had and what they were. Yeah, he, he's married, by the way. Don't forget, through all this, he's, he's got one. So is his wife in on it? Is she, at, is she his no, alibi? No, no, no. Not that I'm aware of. She, as far as I'm aware, she had nothing to do with it. Okay. Could be wrong. I didn't really delve into her, but she didn't come up at all. Mm. So then how did we find out about the, the the voice guy? So this is now. So what about the man who sent the tapes? He became known as Weirside Jack. And in 2005, after further analysis, he was identified as John Humble. Obviously, police were like, bro, 
come on now, you can't be doing what you were doing. And he was sentenced to eight years in prison for his hoax. Why he did it, don't know. He never said he it. Just, he just wanted in. It may be. He might have done. There was nothing that I really uh, looked up. Yeah, you're showing me a picture now. He's just a really, really bizarre guy. Wow. In fact, I've just seen here, 2019, he died. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> yeah. So he changed his name to Sam John Samuel Anderson he's after the guy he got arrested. That terrorized a generation of people. Mm-hmm. Wow. And we just don't know why yeah. he did it. He never he's never openly come out and said it. No, he died at the age of sixty three. He it was said that he had a fascination with Jack the Ripper and he sort of like hopped on that and he saw this as his opportunity to sort of get involved. Oh yeah, I mean don't get me wrong, like the the Dear Boss letter and um uh, saucy Jack letters, like they're they're very very reminiscent to that, and he sounds somewhat like that. I mean, he called himself Jack the Ripper as well, but yeah, it literally says here the yeah. police um have said we don't know his reasons for doing what he did. Wow. Just wanted that's, in. That's fucking. He just really yeah, liked Jack the Ripper. Wild. But yeah, didn't want to do the killing himself, so just hopped on someone else. It's really really strange, but yeah, died early and was spent eight years in prison so that's what you get Mm. strange behavior as for Sutcliffe he decided to go down the path of stating that he wasn't sound of mind that meant he tried to plead guilty for manslaughter due to diminished responsibility due to mental health issues if he got his way he would have been sent to a mental health institute where he would have had a much cozier life his lawyers argues that he suffered from paranoid schizophrenia uh, after he told them that he murdered the women because he heard the voice of God. Ugh. Yeah, it just makes you sort of grimace, doesn't it? Luckily for everyone in the country, the jury and the judge effectively told him to fuck off and found him guilty <laughs> of murder and was sentenced to life in prison. Over the span of five years, he murdered 13 women and attempted to murder seven more. Damn. Right, so That's who remembers COVID-19? We're all familiar with COVID-19. We're all locked up in our houses due to the pandemic. And I'm not going to lie, for some, it was a really horrible time. You were kept separated from loved ones. Um, Some people even had loved ones die. But I can tell you that COVID did do something good. Because on November 13th, 2020, Peter Sutcliffe passed away after testing positive for COVID-19. No way. Yeah. COVID got him. COVID got him. Thank you, China. Yeah. And that (laughs) is the tale of Britain's second most prolific serial killer wow bro that was intense yeah <laughs> do you know what as well it's like maybe it's just you know part of the you know this, just the narrative and whatnot but like that the sound guy the weirside jack being part of that story makes that just flips the whole fucking thing on its head if it, without and his involvement gonna... they probably would have caught him so much quicker yeah, possibly. Yeah. That's crazy. What a fucking weird story. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame like that all these women met their ends at the fucking horrible... F- Why do people like this, man? Why I'd, I'd be interested like to know if anyone listening to this was in the UK in the 70s and remembers hearing the voice clip sort of organically out and about in public. Yeah. I might speak to my... When was my dad born? 69? Mm. Yeah, he would have been like 10 or something. I don't know. I'll ask my grandparents. Just... Mm. It'll be it'll be interesting to hear like first hand accounts of sort of the mood of the country at the time because uh, we've never known serial killers. I, d- I don't think. No. Not not as big as they once were. No, I think nowadays obviously the police are fucking on it. The CCTV everywhere, DNA is crazy. Yeah, I mean there's a there's a crazy like theory as to like well there's lots of arguments and debates about why do we not see serial killers like we used to see in like the 60s 70s 80s was what they call like the golden era of serial killers especially like america with their run of serial killers from like the 50s onwards right why do we not see that anymore and there's quite a few different theories out there and i wonder whether it's a mixture of a lot of them but a couple of them that spring to mind right off the bat which i think are most prevalent is uh uh one is just yeah like cctv presence that we have today and um, just better investigation skills and that they're easily spotted quicker so that it doesn't become a thing um and 
that would make sense. You know, we've we've moved on. We're better at policing and whatnot. Um, although my recent dealings with the police would suggest otherwise, um, <laughs> uh, which we will get onto later. Um, and and the other thing was, and I was I find this more fun is the um, the lead theory. Have you ever heard of this? No. So it's a theory that. Um, back in the day when cars were really starting to come into their own a bit more you know obviously we use unleaded petrol yeah well it used to be leaded petrol right, right? now that would mean that uh, the back of the exhaust was just a fuck ton of lead in the air um and lead poisoning can make people more aggressive that's so interesting and there's a theory as well that the reason the Romans were so murderous is because although they had all this fantastic plumbing system and heating and toilets and all this kind of stuff, it's all lead-lined pipes. So a lot of their drinking water is 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 filled with lead, which would make a lot of them more aggressive and might explain why they were such an aggressive um, civilization that was constantly warring and murdering and slaughtering people for fun and entertainment. Um, and that... A lot of serial killers in America's time and you know whatnot happened to pop up in this era where cars were becoming more and more popular and lead was becoming more in the air that everyone's breathing. And some people grew up with lead poisoning and it made them violent and then they ended up becoming serial killers. And now that we have unleaded petrol, it's not as prevalent. So we're not as violent as we once were. That's so interesting. I don't know how much is. I don't know. Here, I think it's like a theory it's, that I heard, it's and I bordering on really conspiracy theory a little bit. But I'm sure there's. It some is sort a of... little bit. Um, again, it'd be really fascinating to talk to someone who actually does know a bit more about this um, and hear their opinion on it because I think it's a really cool theory. I think that's pro- like true crime at the minute is everyone loves true crime podcasts. They love documentaries. We, I remember when we first started this podcast, we discussed like why the fuck does everyone love true crime so much, and yeah. it is, and we sort of set like because we don't. We do see it, but like we don't see serial killers anymore, and we also have this fascination of how the fuck can someone do this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we first started, when we even well, when we first sat down and spoke about the podcast and what we wanted to do, we always said three episodes would be on someone good and interesting you probably never heard of before. We'll do one episode of that's what people shouldn't do, mm-hmm. and that would be the naughty person. Um, and for me who's always been more into true crime i was like well i really enjoy doing these mm. and i think it just it works with the pod anyway like that's what people do and that's the whole point of it right so yeah. it's trying to figure out why yeah. why do they do that um and and the fascination has got to be to do with the fact that we would never even consider doing this so it's it maybe gives us an, a glimpse into those people's minds something that we will never ever be able to do ourselves mm it is, it's probably why some people are so fascinated with like celebrities like the kardashians and whatnot you know because you're looking at something you will never attain mm-hmm. so you're obsessed with it you're obsessed with it you need to know more about it um because you can never live it we do have a hunger for knowledge don't we yeah 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 we, we all love true crime paranormal as well i think it's like sort of the unknown aspects we're fascinated by because i think yeah, humans absolutely. generally have a fear of things they don't understand so just instinctively they'll try and learn as much as they possibly can yeah no i think you're right i think you're right but anyway tell us about your brush with the police yeah uh so um i recently had my car stolen my beloved ford fiesta which i absolutely love to bits uh that was stolen from outside my own house um and i live in a cul-de-sac so it's not on my drive, but it's on the road with everyone else's cars, and mine was stolen. Uh, my partner's car, which was also a Fiesta, was stolen a month ago. Um, and it seems that in my town alone, there have been upwards of 20 Ford Fiestas been stolen from my area. And yet the police don't seem to want to do anything about it. Um, now, as I said, I live in a cul-de-sac, and as most people know, there is only one road in and out of a cul-de-sac, and I have a neighbour who um, has very fancy cars out front of his house. And he has 24-hour CCTV pointing at the road in front of his house. Um, that's the only one in and out. Now, we spoke to him and he captured my car, leaving my cul-de-sac without me in it. Um, so we have the CCTV footage. We know what time it left. Uh, we passed it on to the police and they said, yeah, thank you very much. Wait, so did you see anyone getting saying, in? 
no can't see anyone getting in um unfortunately uh because it's not on shot but you can yeah. see the car driving out we know exactly the timestamp of when it was being driven out um and yeah apparently that's not enough um not enough to raise an investigation or do anything about it where i'm like okay but if i was to do my own investigation i'd be going to the street opposite finding anyone who has a ring doorbell and being like right can we please get your footage mm. um now if it's just a one car i'd get it fine you're not going to allocate all your resources for one person's car um but the amount of cars that are being stolen from my area it screams all the same gang car, activity screams gang activity right um now do i bl- blame the police for it uh i don't know actually i don't think i do i think i blame um 13 years of a conservative government has made the point where police just can't fucking investigate anything because they don't have any resources to do so um so they can only go for the most fucking easiest serious stuff um but yeah um so it yeah obviously on my car for a lot of people you may not know i had a qr code now if you scan that qr code it took you to our link tree which had all of our information on it that was plastered on the side of my car right so quite a few people when i'll be at work just have my car parked there they'd scan the qr code um so if you are listening hi but also um i always i found it quite funny that whoever stole my car i like the idea that they scanned the qr code (laughs) and if you are listening now um i'm gonna let liam neeson tell you what we're gonna do (laughs) i will look for you I will find you, and I will kill you. <laughs> oh, very good. Thank you, Liam. Um, yeah, I will find you, and I will kill you. <laughs> what a nightmare. Um, yeah, if you did steal my car, fuck you. I hate you. <laughs> it's just a bit long, isn't it? It's just... I know people have got to eat, you've got to make money, but come on now. Yeah, man. Oh, so fucking infuriating. But yeah, I had my car stolen, so I am the victim of uh, crime. Wow. Um, obviously not as severe as the crimes we've been talking about, so I, I, I almost feel bad for <laughs> ending it on my shitty little crime. I probably should have started it with that, but... Maybe. Oh, well. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, that was a wild fucking story, bro. Like, that was mm. crazy. I, I remember watching the documentary, and I was like, this is crazy. And just hearing you tell it again, I was like, it's... The story itself is genuinely that good is the wrong word, but like actually fucking gripping. It's it's a it's a mad mad story, and if you did like that, as we've said so many times, you're gonna fucking love what is coming up next month. Hell yeah, hell yeah, um yeah. So we got some exciting stuff. Um, <clears throat> of course, yeah, we are on the socials. Um, we've got more stuff being put out. Uh, James is writing a heck of a lot more articles and whatnot. Uh, we're trying to get people to absolutely hate our articles online, which is doing quite well at the moment. Um, we're going to be putting some more stuff out. We've got a few more things. We've got our four-year anniversary coming up soon, so we have got some stuff in the pipeline ready for that to come. Um, yeah, next episode we're going to be talking about uh, Dr. Crippen, um, another uh, murderer, um, but this time from the 19 early 1900s wow like the beginning of the century um and some fascinating new technology will be involved in the case which is really cool um so yeah look forward to uh the story of dr crippin and then i think we should do some nice ones yeah yeah yeah. we're we're gonna be doing some nice ones don't you don't worry yeah We've had loads of uh, recommendations and whatnot um, recently, so we'll definitely jump on that. We had a. I put out a post about Bonnie and Clyde, and I forget who asked, but said, please do an episode. So I'll probably do that. I'll probably do Bonnie and Clyde. They're not nice, but I think it's. I don't really know much about them. It'd be interesting. They seem cool. Yeah, it's a cool story. Um, Keep it coming with the comments as well, because we absolutely love it when you guys jump in and say hi. And, you know, if you have any recommendations, let us know. This is the thing. If you Um, recommend something, the chances are we will do it. Rowan fucking messaged us. About doing Mormons, yeah. and Ryan ended up doing three episodes, four episodes if you include the interview. Was it three or four? I, I can't remember. Yeah, four. There was a lot four, of episodes yeah. about Mormons. I wasted half a year. Yeah, so we <laughs> take we take recommendations year. extremely seriously. Yeah, we really do, but that's because we're lazy. Yeah, we don't. We don't want to have to think. You tell us what to do, and we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm game for that. Yeah, if you, you just tell us what you want us to do, and we'll do it. Uh, we're not shields. <laughs> um, right. Thank you very much for listening. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, and we will see you on the next one. Ta-ra.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.